Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Many of us will never see a polar bear up close in the wild, but interactions are more common for many people living in northern Alaska and Canada and other regions in and around the Arctic. Even so, maulings by the top predators are rare around the globe. As their habitat slowly changes, the nature of their interactions with humans is taking a different course. Coming up, we'll hear about the traditional coexistence with polar bears and what experts think is their future. That's right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A bill to establish a state-level Indian Child Welfare Act in Montana was introduced this week. As Montana Public Radio's Ellis Julin reports, the bill would build upon the federal version of the law. The Federal Indian Child Welfare Act, referred to as ICWA, guides the removal and placement of Native American children in cases of abuse and neglect, prioritizing their placement into the homes of family members or other members of their tribe. If you look at the handout, you will see the marked decrease in the rates of Native children in state custody after the implementation of a statewide ICWA. That's Kelly Driscoll, a public defender who practices family defense in Missoula County's ICWA court. If passed, Montana would join 10 other states with local-level ICWA policies, which expand guidelines for child placement. According to data from the National Indian Child Welfare Association, the number of Native American children in foster care is nearly three times higher than their proportion in the overall population. Lance Forstar, a staffer with the Montana American Indian Caucus, spoke in support of the bill. Regardless of ICWA, House Bill 317 ensures Montana steps up to what's in the best interest of Indian children. Lawmakers are considering a local policy to define the process for placing Native children in foster care as the federal ICWA is being challenged in the U.S. Supreme Court. Proponents of the bill said establishing a Montana version of the policy would maintain these protections for tribes in Montana and preserve tribal sovereignty if the national policy is struck down. Over 30 people spoke in support of the bill during its hearing, and it has the support of Montana's eight tribal nations. The committee did not take immediate action on the bill. For National Native News, I'm Ellis Julin. The Interior Department announced Thursday a $580 million allocation to fulfill Indian water rights settlements. The funds are from the Infrastructure Law and the Reclamation Water Settlements Fund. Nearly $460 million will come from an Indian water rights fund in the Infrastructure Law for settlements dating prior to November 2021, and $120 million from the Reclamation Fund, which was created by Congress in 2009 and receives mandatory annual funding up to 2029. In a statement, Secretary of the Interior Deb Holland said, through the funding, the Interior Department will uphold its trust responsibilities. She expressed her gratitude that tribes waiting for decades will finally get resources they're owed. There were 34 congressionally enacted Indian water rights settlements as of November 2021 when the infrastructure law was signed. More than a dozen tribal projects are receiving settlement funds this year in Arizona, Colorado, New Mexico, Utah, Idaho, and Montana. 
The first ever California Tribal 988 Summit is taking place Friday at the Morongo Casino. Native American state lawmaker James Ramos is hosting the Tribal Summit to raise awareness of mental health services and suicide prevention efforts. The federal 988 number was created last summer to help individuals who are in crisis. People can use the 24-7 number by calling, texting, or chatting. The number can also be used by those who are worried about someone they believe needs crisis support. The 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline connects people with counseling, referrals, resources, and other aid. Tribal leaders and mental health professionals are among speakers who will share perspectives on providing culturally grounded suicide prevention approaches and build collaboration around 988 for tribal communities. The Oklahoma City Indian Clinic is offering self-defense education during Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. A series of classes for women ages 16 and older will be held this month. The national observance is to raise awareness around violent and abusive behaviors among teens. Health professionals say sometimes victims have no other choice than to resort to self-defense. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. This Valentine's Day, you can give all your sweethearts truly unique gifts from SweetgrassTradingCo.com, a Ho-Chunk Inc. company where you can choose from a variety of food, beauty, and wellness items from tribes across Turtle Island. Ho-Chunk Inc. supports this show. Support from AmeriCorps VISTA, whose members serve to alleviate poverty while earning money for college and gaining professional skills. Rewarding service opportunities can be found at A-M-E-R-I-C-O-R-P-S dot G-O-V slash V-I-S-T-A. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. When a woman and her son were mauled by a polar bear in northern Alaska last month, residents and wildlife experts started discussions about reviving patrols to both protect residents and discourage the animals from coming near populated areas. It had been more than 30 years since the last fatal polar bear attack in Alaska, but residents worry the delicate balance between people and the fierce predators is unraveling. Habitat loss from climate change is putting pressures on the bears to adapt, and the outcome remains uncertain. Today, we'll review the importance of polar bears and the evolving situation they find themselves in. As always, we welcome listeners to the conversation. Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848 to ask questions or share your insights about polar bears. That number again is 1-800-996-2848 or just 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us first from Fairbanks, Alaska, is Allison Warden. She's an artist, a poet, and a musician. She's Inupiaq. Allison, welcome to Native America Calling. Hi. Good morning. Good morning to you as well. And Allison, what's your personal connection to polar bears? They're a reoccurring theme in your performances and your artwork. Well, I've had lots of dreams where I was a polar bear in my dreams, and um, my Traditional homelands, uh, Koktovik, we have a special connection to the polar bear, and I've created uh, art around the polar bear, uh, music, um, theater, and poetry. 
theater, poetry, music, and um, where do you do your performances? Um, it depends. Uh, mostly, uh, used to be Europe. I'm I'm heading to Europe this um, spring, but I've performed around the state and a lot around the lower 48 as well. Um, around the lower Europe, lower 48, and, and you've had dreams in, in which you've been a polar bear. So tell us a little bit more about the cultural significance uh, of polar bears and, and some of these stories that, that you share with your audiences. Well, my uh, late uncle, uh, Raymond Nakuk, he was the elder that shared um, lots of stories with me uh, when I was developing uh, my first performance around a polar bear. Um, he had a special relationship with the with the polar bear. He he hand hunted them. He 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 knew them intimately, and I was uh, really blessed that he shared many stories about them. And I've uh, told the story of the ten-legged polar bear, which is a very old story, and I've written poems about about that animal as well. And then I have a song from the perspective of a polar bear, where a polar bear raps <laughs> and uh, says, oh, where did, where did all the ice go, is the chorus. Where did all the ice go, a rapping polar bear? Well, this is just really, really interesting. Um, this type of artwork, your creativity, Allison, and we actually have an audio clip from your 2011 solo performance, and it's titled Calling All Polar Bears. Let's take a listen. That is a performance, a solo performance back from 2011, Allison Warden. And Allison, tell us a little bit more about that performance and uh, the music and, and the words. What does it mean? Um, I was thinking about, um, I found in some of my work that people respond more to the plight of the polar bear than to the actual Inupiaq that are... <laughs> living up in the lands and the territories. So I've created art from, well, what would the polar bear say? And then within that song also talk about uh, the Inipiaq people uh, to, to, so that people are aware that there, there are people up there, not just animals. 
So people are more likely to listen to the to the bears than they are actual people. That's interesting. And uh, you know, what's the message here? Because I, I I know you're very passionate about some of the environmental changes that are occurring there in Alaska. And, and is that a big focus uh, of these narratives that these polar bears share with audiences? Uh, yes, it, it was. I mean, I, my um, that was a piece in 2011, so I'm doing different work now, but it was a big thrust of, of my work was talking about um, the relationship that we have to the animal and also um, to the land and how in Koktovik especially, we can see a, a change in in what the polar bears are facing and how how we're interacting with them. And what are some of these changes that they're facing? Well, I, I did a lot of research and, you know, I went out on, on a boat one, one summer with my uncle uh, to go hunt caribou. And um, he said to me, you see all that? big ice right there there used to be lots of those ices lots of them everywhere um and he would he described how they would even be larger um and then i researched how far the polar bears were swimming to get to the ice and nowadays from i'm not a hunter there's better (laughs) um you have a better guest on 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 the um on the hunting um but um there's, from from my understanding, they're staying on the land now. Um, they're they're changing their relationship to. It, they used to go and stay out on the ice, but now it's too far to swim in. Um, mm. Less ice. The bears are having to to swim farther out uh, into the sea. So, your artwork, your performances, these messages that you're sharing, uh, not just in the United States but in Europe as well. What's the feedback from audiences? Are, are they getting it? And do you think you're uh, making an impact in terms of gaining this awareness for polar bear habitats and some of the challenges that these animals are facing? Uh, I think so. I think um, that polar bear song, you know, it's pretty catchy. So um, people uh, can at least remember that. Um, I, I think it's constantly changing. So even... You know, 10 years ago when I made that work, it's a different uh, scene up there for them even now. So, um, yeah, I haven't I haven't made work around the polar bear specifically, except through poems lately. I've been um, writing more poems. Poetry. Yeah. Well, I agree with you that the music is definitely catchy and uh, sounds like you're, you're poetry has uh is just filled with passion as well and you know again talking about these changes uh with what polar bears are facing and do you see a parallel with that in terms of just how indigenous life for your people has changed over the last several generations or so well i have a song um that for my my late mom but she knew the song when i when she was alive she she approved of it before <laughs> but it showed it, it illustrated the change that she had seen in her lifetime going from a sod house to facebook and the rapid um colonization i call it that um that she went through in just a short period of time mm. so um it, the impact on the people with um especially in koktovik we were more um I feel like fortunate to be not as impacted 
uh, right away. <laughs> we knew of the people and we were trading for, for different items. So we knew that there was a lot of activity, but we were still pretty um, set apart from from the brunt of a lot of that, except for the military landing in our community. That was a really big impact that um, mm -hmm. we're still still facing. And for folks uh, listening today who maybe have never seen a polar bear, maybe never even been to Alaska or any parts of the Arctic, what do you want folks like that to really understand about polar bears and, and some of these changes and, and the plight that they're, they're facing now? Um, well, my uncle taught me that polar bears are just like people inside and that they take off their um, fur coat when they go into their homes and when they put that coat on their hook, they are people inside. Um, and all of we have that um, same kind of, um, that same belief with all the animals. So we have a special um, respect and relationship to all of the animals and a different um, understanding of our cosmology is very different from uh, Western cosmology or Western ways and a different relationship. Um, and these, it's been going on for a very, very long time, our, our relationship to the earth and to the animals. We're speaking now with Allison Warden. She is an artist, a poet, and a musician, and advocating on behalf of polar bears and indigenous culture is a big part of the work that she does. Uh, she does performances uh, in the United States as well as Europe. She's getting ready to go to Europe uh, here shortly. Really appreciate her joining us today. Anyone with a question or a comment, any insights you can share regarding polar bears, we'd sure love to hear them at 1-800-996-2848. We've got more guests, more conversation on the other side of this break. Spearfishing season for sturgeon is getting underway in lake country in the upper Midwest. It's a long-held subsistence tradition for Ojibwe people and many other tribes. And tribal wildlife officials elsewhere have ongoing sturgeon conservation programs. We'll explore the long history of sturgeon and the continuing tradition they represent on the next Native America Calling. Local Indian Health Care Provider, Naka State Medical Office, Address Medicare and Medicaid Service. You are listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about polar bears and their evolving relationship with people living in their midst. Do you have a polar bear story? We'd love to hear it. Just call 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's now head uh, a little bit further north in Alaska. In fact, the northernmost city in not only Alaska, but the United States. Joining us from Utqiagvik, Alaska, is Herman Oswak. He's a whaling captain, and he's a Nupiak. Herman, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you. You bet, Herman. We also have Mary 
Put Kotuk joining us now. She's an Inupiaq woman also living in Utkiatvik. Welcome to Native America Calling Mary. Good morning. Good morning, Mary. And Herman, I'd like to go ahead and start with you this morning. How often do you come across polar bears on land and water? I started seal hunting in January, and uh, I was, and uh, we also we we cut trails on the sea ice to get to the water. And there's a couple of places that we go. Uh, one is at the gravel pit, which is a little west of Barrow, and then way up north is the Point Barrow, which we call Nubuk. Uh, there's a big whale bone pile out there. About a month ago, I was out at Nubuk, and there was a uh, ten about 10 polar bears that were feeding on on the the bones out there were excess of blubber. Well, that was recently, just within about the last month, 10 polar bears, and about how far away were they from you? Um, I, I was on my snow machine and going to check the sea ice to find a place to cut a trail, and I, I, I came within about a mile of them, and then they they, they began running away. And Herman, you know, for somebody that's not familiar with um, with Alaska and polar bears, like where are they most likely to be seen? Is it right there, right along the coast near the water? Is it on the ice? Is it maybe a little bit further inland? Where do you most often, most likely see them? You'll mostly see them out on the sea ice on the ocean, and uh, that's where we see uh, see them all the time. On the, on the sea ice and the ocean. Now, what are some of the first things that you learned uh, growing up, uh, talking to elders and other folks in your community? What did they teach you about polar bears as a child? They taught us not to uh, run or be, be afraid because uh, they can sense fear. And so uh, when you do come across one that, that doesn't scare you easily, you have to just stand your ground. Obviously, you have to carry a fire firearm also. And, and what can people do just to, to minimize, uh, you know, any kind of dangerous interactions or just be safe if, you know, they are up in Alaska, maybe visiting or, or on a tour or something like that? What do, what do folks need to be mindful of? They just be, need to be mindful of that they're wild animals and they can turn on a dime and even chase you if, if they wanted to. Uh, most of the time that I've come across polar bears my whole lifetime, they usually just run away from a head, snow machine headlight or the noise. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, Mary, I, I want to ask you, because I understand you've had a polar bear encounter as well. Tell us about it. Sure. Well, I was driving north towards Nubuk, which Herman was describing, the northernmost part of our land. And it's a narrow road with the built-up side to uh, prevent any erosion. And so I was just driving out there, and a mother and two cubs quickly ran in front of me over that little uh, side berm. And I couldn't see them because of the, how they built it up, but it was, it was really awesome to see a mother and two cubs. And you know, we see a lot of polar bears year-round, and it's not uncommon. When I first see a polar bear, I get really happy when it's nice and fat. I know it's eating, 
<clears throat> in the summertime, you know, uh, like Allison was talking about, the polar bears that swim, um, we don't have any landlocked ice in the summertime, just the traveling sea ice that comes and goes. Sometimes they can get dumped. They're, you know, the polar bears are on the traveling sea ice, and it hits land, and they get off. One year we had about 50 polar bears at the point at Nuvuk stuck here. And, um, you know, the ice comes and goes in the summer, and sometimes they have to swim a long time, and you will see once in a while the skinny polar bear. But thank goodness a lot of these polar bears we see are gigantic monsters that are huge. You can tell they've been hunting. Just like Herman's been hunting on the ice for seals, so are the polar bears. So are, are the summer months uh, when people are most likely to see polar bears? Uh, Year-round, yeah. We, there was one last night, a monster, a monster one at uh, Nuvuk at the, our traditional point, which is about five miles from Utkialgulik. Now, when you say a monster, I mean, we, we talk, we're talking how many feet, roughly how many pounds? Oh, boy, that'd be a good question for him, and maybe a nine, ten footer, and I would not know anything about the weight, but okay. Um, I have a friend who's a hunter, and he posted, there's a monster at Nuvuk, and took a picture of a really fat, big polar bear. <laughs> Herbert, does that sound about right, nine, ten feet? Sounds about right, and they can get to a thousand, twelve hundred pounds, the really, the really big ones. Twelve hundred pounds. And... You know, folks, I, I would imagine, you know, there's uh, increased awareness now and some alertness with, um, you know, this unfortunate event that, that occurred earlier this year. And um, ongoing patrols, has the village ever set up any kind of patrols or anything like that just to, to stay alert for polar bears? In, uh, you were talking with Allison Warden from Koktovik. They do have a 24-hour polar bear uh, watch for the community when 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 they're uh, actively whaling in the fall time. We did have once in a while in Barrow when the, the bears get a, a little numerous. Our wild, North Slope Wildlife Management always has a polar bear watch where they deter polar bears from from the city limits. And how do they do that? Um, do they just kind of go out there? drive out there or ride out there? I mean, how, how do they kind of divert polar bear like you describe? They, they use vehicles and they, and if they have to, they use firecracker shells that the, the, the firecracker explodes in the air near them to uh, scare them away. Hmm. Herbert, is it common to hunt polar bears where you are? I have a nephew who... Uh, who, who usually catches one every year, but I haven't seen him harvest one yet. And we do we do eat polar bear meat. Well, tell us more about that, um, the meat and uh, and how the polar bears are are prepared. Uh, is it a delicacy? It sounds like a it's a it's a big deal when a, when when somebody kills a polar bear. It's a delicacy and. Usually you have you'll have to boil the the meat for more than two hours on high heat, and uh, you have to have the hide tagged by wildlife management. You harvest the skull, you can harvest the the, the claws, 
and uh, you share with uh, those people that that are not able to hunt, and the elders are usually happy for fresh polar bear meat. Well, Mary, how about you? Any favorite polar bear recipes you can share with us on air? Oh, yeah. Just like Carmen said, it is a delicacy. It tastes to me like a really rich roast. I like to eat mine with ketchup. Um, We don't eat it often, but uh, one of our values is sharing. So when somebody harvests a polar bear, they'll say, they'll cut it up, and they'll say, bring your own bag. Come get some polar bear meat, and then... Anybody who wants polar bear meat um, goes over and collects the meat and able to boil it on their own. It's really good meat. Mm, Sounds like it. Now, Mary, you also have a story from a long time ago about a woman who who fended off a polar bear in the wild. Can you tell us about that? Yes, I was told this story a long time ago, long before guns and snow machines. Um, There was a widow and... In order to get a share from the whale, you have to go help and butcher or be around it just to get some. So she took her kids and a walking stick, and she was walking out to the whaling camp on the trail. And she came across a polar bear, and the polar bear started to lunge toward her. So she put a mitten on her walking stick and shoved it down the polar bear's throat and carried on, went out to the whale and helped butcher earned a share for her family to take back. And uh, after she was done helping and she got her share, she was walking back on the trail with her kids back to town and she came across the polar bear who had suffocated. She leaned over and she reached down and she got the mitten, took it out of its mouth and put it back on her hand and continued on to town. Oh, wow, that's a great idea to have a walking stick. Never know when you need one. <laughs> Yeah, that's a really, really interesting story. And our producers uh, have some information to share here. According to Guinness, the Guinness Book of World Records, I think the heaviest polar bear ever documented was shot in Alaska in 1960. It weighed 2,209 pounds, stood nearly 12 feet tall, and was displayed at the 1962 Seattle World's Fair. So, uh, Mary, that sounds like a monster to me. What do you think? Yeah, there are a lot of monsters out there. It's always good to see healthy, big polar bears. Now, I understand there's also there's a polar bear in the Anchorage Zoo. Have you ever seen it and visited? Yes. Um, you know, we have spring and fall whaling, and uh, our family earns a share uh, of the bowhead whale. There's a lot of excess whale fat, and there's probably about a foot and a half of whale fat in we only eat about two inches of that, so we have excess. And uh, what my family likes to do is we'll cut up all the whale fat so it's in nice small blocks, like the size of a brick, and put it in um, zip blocks or some kind of container and label it. And we'll bring it to the Anchorage Zoo. They do have a donation uh, freezer, so I call them ahead of time and tell them, I'm bringing some whale fat for the polar bear, and then I'll mark it in the, I'll mark my packages, you know, whale fat for the polar bear. And so the polar bear can get some really good food because that's what they usually eat, seal fat or whale fat. So we Mm. like to do that when we remember to, when we have time. That's really cool. 
really cool to, to allow that polar bear and to, to make sure that that polar bear is able to to get that natural diet that uh, that they're so accustomed to. Herman, how about the, the hides uh, with polar bears? Uh, what kinds of um, things do you folks do with the hides? The hide, they can make um, polar bear mucklucks. They also can, my nephew has polar bear um, like ski pants. And uh, my, my son-in-law wants to harvest one so he can make some boots and other things with, with the hide. And uh, the bones, the skull, any special uh, doings or anything like that with, with those pieces? Um, the hunter usually the hunter usually harvests the skull, and I've been in around some people's homes where they do have a skull uh, in their home, and it reminds them of the, the, the hunt, I'm sure. Hmm. And Mary, you know, going back more to the the cultural significance of polar bears among your people, tell us a little bit more. I mean, earlier we heard um, Herman talk about you know you don't talk bad about them and things like that. And and what's what are some other ways that you folks just kind of relate to polar bears uh, on a, on a personal level and a cultural level? One of our cultural values is respect for animals, so. We never say things like, I'm going to go kill a big polar bear or I'm going to go harass this bear or say bad things about the animals. We, we just don't do that. And, um, you know, we have a lot of respect for the animals. They sustain us around here. We don't have trees. We don't have farms. We don't have um, cows and sheep or anything. We subsist off the land. And we like to say the ocean is our garden. You know, we're blessed to eat polar bear or walrus whale, beluga whale, bowhead whale, seals, bearded seals, fish, and also caribou from the land, ducks and geese. So we have a lot of respect for the animals, and um, like I mentioned earlier, sharing is one of our values. And um, Herman and I are in the dance group called the Bear Dancers, and we do a dance called the Polar Bear Shake, where we mimic the strength of a polar bear and display it and the power of a polar bear. So that's one of the dances that we do um, to share about the polar bear. It's a beautiful animal. Um, we're always happy to see them. It's a good feeling to see these animals out there in the in the wild. And we're always very uh, aware of our surroundings. We're lucky to have a wildlife department that does have a polar bear patrol around here, especially around uh, fall whaling. So if we see a polar bear, we can call the police or call the wildlife department on call. And if we, you know, if we don't have a gun ourselves, we can scare it away from town. So we're very mindful of the polar bears, and you know, we don't hunt them all the time. Very occasional. Most of the time, we'll just scare it away unless it's a a bear that just will not leave town. We do have had we've had a lot of bears run through town or um, around the edges, or you know, we. We store our um, our bowhead whale outside in the wintertime, and so we are mindful to watch out for animals, and we're really thankful for everybody being aware and uh, being prepared to deal with any polar bear sightings. We are learning so much about polar bears today from uh, three folks up in Alaska, uh, people that have seen polar bears in person, people who have um, 
gone out of their way to make sure polar bears are, are well fed and uh, people who celebrate uh, polar bears through art, through performance, through poetry, through music. Anybody with a question or if you've maybe perhaps seen a polar bear yourself or maybe somebody listening in Alaska who also has interactions with polar bears in their community, we'd sure love to hear from you today. You know the number, 1-800-996-2848. Talking all about polar bears today, uh, the legacy of the polar bear and uh, some of the cultural aspects as well. Very, very important animal to indigenous people in the Arctic area. Again, that number, 1-800-996-2848. Share your thoughts about polar bears. 1-800-996-2848. We do have to take one more break. We'll be back. If you're hurting in your relationship or have been affected by sexual violence, StrongHeart's Native Helpline is a no-charge, 24-7, confidential and anonymous domestic, dating, and sexual violence helpline for Native Americans. Help is available by calling 1-844-7-NATIVE or by clicking on the chat icon on strongheartshelpline.org. This program is supported by StrongHeart's Native Helpline. You are listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. If you've just joined us, we're talking about polar bears today, and there's still time to contribute to the conversation. How are polar bears part of your Native culture and your Native community? If you've got an answer for that question, please give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We're speaking now with Mary Putkotuk, and Herman Oswak, and they are up in Utkiotvik in Alaska, very far north in Alaska. And Mary, I want to ask you, because earlier we've been talking with Allison and Herman both about, uh, you know, polar bears, you know, not being able to, to swim as far and less ice. And what do you think is, is, is bringing polar bears closer in to where people live? Well, we have the sea ice, you know, and it travels with the the wind direction, <clears throat> sometimes the polar bears get stranded. Um, I can't remember the exact miles, but they can swim for 60 to 100 miles. They're used to that. They're very strong animals. When we see them coming up in the summer, which is not too often, on the beach, they'll be really tired, and you know we leave them alone and let them rest. And they'll sleep for a day or two and then move along. And um, once in a while, you will see a skinny polar bear, but it's not like the commercials begging for money. There's a lot of healthy polar bears, and it's beautiful to see that. Know, know that there are successful hunters out there on the ice hunting seals. And sometimes um, you can watch a polar bear hunt a seal, and they're very strong with one swipe. You know, they can move a two, three hundred pound seal with one arm swipe, get out of the water and push it onto the ice. And you can watch them eat the seal. They mostly love the fat. 
fat of the seal. They're amazing hunters. And um, time I heard a story from Allison's family about how they, the uh, where Allison's family is from, Kaktovik, there's tons of polar bears. If you want to see a polar bear, your best bet is to go to Barter Island, or they also call it Kaktovik. And um, her one of her uncles was a really, really awesome hunter and was observing the polar bear, teaching the cub how to hunt. And the the mom pushed the snow in front of it, of the bear, uh, in front of herself as a little blind to protect it from the seal, from the seal being able to see the polar bear. And the cub did the same thing was learning from the mom, was scooping some snow and making a little blind so they wouldn't be completely seen by the seal because the seals will come up through different breathing holes or the edge of the ice and um, they will lay out on the ice. And so uh, it was a beautiful story to hear about observing these beautiful creatures and seeing how they teach their, their own young to hunt seals, just like Carmen hunts seals. Yeah, this is a beautiful story, really. And it's so good to know that there's so many healthy polar bears out there, as you mentioned, Marion, and be able to swim 100 miles. Uh, wow, just amazing. Let's go to the phones now. We have Grace listening in northern Wisconsin on WOJB. Grace, do you have a story about polar bears? Well, good day to you, and thank you so much for having me on. It's such an honor to hear these um, people and their knowledge about these bears. I was a, a young, um, a 20-year-old, and we decided to canoe up to the Hudson Bay. We went out um, the Seal River, and we were within a football field of a bear when we came through the braided stream when we were almost out to the bay. And I foolishly wanted to get closer, and my husband said, no, we can't do that. We're meat to that animal. And I thought, oh, we can't get through this braided stream and this difficult terrain that quickly. It's, but anyway, we didn't go any closer, and we were uh, downwind, so it was okay, and we, we got out of there. But we ended up flying from Knife River into Churchill. One of the uh, people that we were with had an accident and we needed to get in. And so I was the last person on this little float plane. And I got to see this polar bear running across the tundra like a shaggy dog across a, a field of wheat. And very the tundra is really uneven terrain. There's huge blocks of rock and big crevices in between them. And the, the little bit of willow scrub that grows between hides those crevices. And when we tried to portage across that country, we were just a mess. But, you know, being kids from the Midwest, we didn't know much about bears. And <laughs> it was so exciting to see that bear just run like a big old shaggy dog. And I was like, I've, I've been so um, respectful of large wildlife ever since. That was really a good lesson for us. So if well, any great. tourists from the Midwest go around polar bears, they need to really be careful. All right. All right. Grace, thank you for sharing that story. Wonderful story. That was Grace uh, up in northern Wisconsin. We've got another caller, Arlo, who is listening on Keeley Radio in South Dakota, of course. Arlo, hello. Hello. How are you? I'm doing great, Arlo. Looking forward to hearing uh, your thoughts on polar bears. No, I have a question. Um, 
So like I, I know bears carry the the parasite trichinosis, and I'm doing a lot of food research pertaining to indigenous peoples, and that's like one of the things I want I wanted to know is like how does their tribe deal with trichinosis? Because I know if you eat polar bear meat, that you know you you have the potential of contracting trichinosis. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a pretty dangerous thing. And I was just curious, you know, like how does the tribe see it? How does their people see it? Uh, trichinosis? Do they even deal with it? I want to know. Okay, Arlo, thank you. Yeah, really good point there. Uh, apparently, trichinosis is a risk with polar bear meat. Uh, Herman, any thoughts on that uh, in terms of just avoiding those risks with uh, trichinosis or perhaps undercooked meat? I'm not really quite clear how uh, polar bear specifically can carry trichinosis. Yes, it can. Um, you just have to boil the meat on high heat for two more than two hours just to avoid that. And uh, I've never come across any family members that contacted it from eating eating polar bear meat. And uh, we do have modern health care now, and so they would they would deal they would help deal with the trichinosis. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, any, any really, does polar bear other than, you know, you mentioned cooking it well and everything like that, but is, is there any bigger risk with, with polar bear meat than any other types of game or wildlife, uh, in, in the area of Alaska where you are, Herman? Um, we also have, you can get botulism from some of the seals if you, uh, don't pay attention when you're, when you're <clears throat> preparing it, you know, to ferment and also sometimes, people do get botulism. Interesting. Well, our producers um, have done a little bit of research here, and I'm going to share some information. The Department of Health is reminding uh, folks that many polar bears carry a tiny round worm called trichinella, which can make humans sick. Freezing or fermenting meat will not kill trichinella. It can only be killed by cooking. Polar bear meat is a nutritious food. Um, Mary, any thoughts, any tips for uh, for preparing polar bear meat in a way so it, it's safe and and nutritious as well? Yeah, you know, <clears throat> I know a story of one of the elders from Kaktovik. Um, they're very used to harvesting polar bears, and they have a lot of polar bears around. And the elder was butchering a polar bear. Normally when you're butchering things, you know, it's okay to lick your knife. And he licked his knife and... Uh, as your caller mentioned, they do have a high amount of vitamin E, and he his skin he was a full blooded Inupiaq. His skin turned white and his hair turned white, and um, that's the only person I know that's been affected by um, uncooked uh, polar bear. So that's wow. why we cook it for two to three hours. If you're gonna eat the meat, you need to boil it and we're we're all aware of that and you know if we're giving it to somebody that's not from around here we make sure that we cook it first because we don't want anything bad to happen to anyone um yeah so we just cook it for a long time and make sure it's thoroughly thoroughly cooked okay all right well good information there allison uh i want to ask you any other stories uh, you'd like to share about polar bears or any other experiences you've had? 
Um, well, that was my uh, biological grandfather that she was talking about that slowly became white um, because his knife nicked the liver. But I do have a funny story about I was doing an art installation and um, the my I was cooking polar bear as part of the installation because the smell is so particular that um, it uh, can be very strong. So I was using the medium of smell <laughs> to kind of infuse the art gallery where I was at. And I had a kitchen set up and my nephew, um, I had other food on the table and then the polar bear was cooking. He didn't realize that it was polar bear cooking and he was serving it to people before it was cooked properly. And so I had to, um, it was not, it's not really a funny story because it could have been very dangerous. Um, I had to call everyone who went to the art installation to make sure they didn't um, eat some of the undercooked polar bear. And everyone was okay. Um, he thought it was something else. But, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of, you know, we have, trying to think of any other stories. <laughs> I think Mary Mary had some some good stories about the, there's some other stories about polar bears training their cubs. Um, my uncle, my late uncle Raymond Nakuk told me a story about watching them draw a line in the snow, uh, the mother polar bear, and um, using that line as a marker for how long the cubs could stay on their bellies. Um, and they'd have to get behind the line to start again. Mm. Um, uh, so there's a lot of those traits of when you observe them, how they're like people inside, like I said. Allison, uh, climate change is, is on so many people's minds uh, in, in recent years. And how concerned are you uh, about the future of polar bears uh, with regard to some of these changing climate conditions that um, we're all so concerned about? I mean, I, I, they're smart and um, they adapt. I know they've adapted. Um, it is it is tough, um, and they are thriving in other areas of the of the Arctic. I've been to Svalbard, or <laughs> I've been to Greenland and Svalbard, and um, where there's uh, polar bears in uh, different parts of the Arctic. Um, I know in Koktovik we've seen them adapt, and um, the village has adapted in how we relate to them, uh, which is uh, new ways of um, helping them with uh, as they as they do adapt. Um, I have a hopeful. Um, I'm a very optimistic in general. I know that some of them are traveling farther south. Uh, see what's going on down there, and sometimes they also um, they've uh, had cubs with a bl uh, a brown bear also. So there's been incidents of that. Um, I think they're a very highly intelligent animal, uh, highly aware of their surroundings, and are going to do what it takes to protect their their cubs and their families. Mm. But we do see evidence of them, you know, losing that fight. Um, in Koktovik, you know, we find a full skulls of, I mean, full, full entire skeletons and vertebrae and of younger cubs that didn't make it. Um, 
Yeah, so. Okay. And, and Mary, you mentioned, you know, how healthy many polar bears are, how strong they are, but uh, are you worried uh, about changing climate conditions in the future of polar bears? You know, what I see, I'm really blessed to say that I rarely see skinny polar bears. It's been many years since I've seen one. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I live really close to the beach or on the beach all summer long and, if there's a polar bear and somebody posts on social media, we'll go see and stay at a distance. And um, it's really been awesome to, and that's the first thing I look for when I see a polar bear. Is it healthy? Is it skinny? Has it been eating? And it's always a relief to see big ones. Um, rarely ever do I see skinny ones. And if I do, it would probably be in the summer when they're swimming too far, when the um, wind currents change and the ice goes in a different direction or dumps them somewhere. So I've been really blessed to not see a lot of skinny polar bears. I see a lot of the commercials are promoting, you know, donate to this, save the polar bears. We don't see those people around here saving polar bears. (laughs) We don't really see a lot of skinny polar bears. But Allison is right, you know, these bears are adapting. There is less ocean ice. We see that during spring whaling, and Herman can talk about that too. But, um, yeah, these bears are adapting. Well, it's good news. Good to hear for sure. And um, well, we got to wrap up the show here in, in just a few moments. But Herman, just a quick question about how far south uh, do do polar bear live? Do, do you know that information? Um, I, I don't know if they live there, but they, so I've heard one, uh, one being caught in Atkasuk, which is about uh, 70 miles inland. Okay, so seventy miles. They do go in land sometimes when they get when they get lost. Okay, well, folks, that is all the time we have for our show today. I want to thank our guests for what's been a really fascinating conversation about polar bears in the Arctic. Join us next week for another lineup of discussions about indigenous issues and topics. Our executive producer is Art Hughes. Our producers are Andy Murphy and Sol Traverso. Marino Spencer is the engineer. Show McPollin is the digital producer. Nola Daves Moses is the distribution director. Bob Peterson is the network manager for Native Voice One. Clifton Chadwick is our national underwriting sales director. Antonia Gonzalez is the anchor for National Native News. Charles Sather is our chief operations officer. The president and CEO of Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation is Jacqueline Salee. Have a safe weekend. I'm Sean Spruce. As people seek to know diverse cultures, tribal museums and cultural centers grow more popular. So the Institute of American Indian Arts, who support this show, now provides a Master of Fine Arts in Cultural Administration. Focused on social equity and support of cultural community growth, this program combines administrative tools and techniques with socially engaged leadership, blending institutional skills and community outreach programming. Deadline to apply is February 15 at iaia.edu mfaca. Are you a Native American health care provider, recovery counselor, social worker, domestic and sexual abuse advocate, or traditional healer working in Native American communities? Dr. Ruby Gibson will begin a six-month advanced immersion in healing historical trauma. This online masterclass looks through the lens of a seven-generational recovery approach to provide powerful, proven modalities and is offered tuition-free to tribal members. Registration deadline is March 24, 2023. Info at freedomlodge.org who support this show.
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.